In 1872, the United States Supreme Court denied Mrs. Myra Bradwell, who had apprenticed, passed the bar exam, and had support from legal professionals, the right to practice law. Their decision quoted the Supreme Court of Illinois' opinion that allowing women to be attorneys was never contemplated. A lot has changed in the legal profession since 1872, but there is always room for improvement. From the Florida Bar's Henry Latimer Center for Professionalism, this is never contemplated. Hello and welcome to two special episodes of Never Contemplated. I'm your host, Heddle Desai. I've interviewed a number of judges from different jurisdictions at various levels of the Florida and federal court system, as well as other types of courts. I myself am an administrative law judge with the Division of Administrative Hearings, often referred to as DOA. As you may remember from our interview with Judge Meg Kerr, DOA houses the workers' compensation judges, but it also is responsible for adjudicating agency administrative disputes. In fact, DOA judges, also known as ALJs, have been adjudicating disputes in Florida for almost 50 years. DOA serves the people and businesses of Florida by providing all state agencies with impartial and efficient services to resolve disputes involving all types of governmental decisions. These disputes can involve complex factual and legal issues where the ALJ entertains motions, makes evidentiary rulings, serves as the fact finder, and then makes a detailed written recommendation to the agency or a final decision with an explanation regarding that decision. These cases include challenges to agency rules, child support enforcement, Baker Acts, professional licensing disputes, state discrimination cases, and bid disputes. Many of these cases involve pro se individuals representing themselves or their business. All of the cases involve the same rules of evidence and litigation practice found in county or circuit court. The only thing missing is a jury. DOA also contracts with cities and counties, regional planning councils, water management districts, school districts, and other local governments conducting due process hearings and appeals. For example, a local government may use an ALJ to conduct hearings involving land use or zoning issues, alleged violations of local human rights ordinances or code violations, and discipline and termination of collective bargaining employees. In this special episode, I have the honor of introducing our listeners to some of my sisters on the bench. These ALJs come from a diverse background and experiences, but all share a commitment to public service and a dedication to provide fair and impartial decisions. I hope you enjoy this administrative law edition of Never Contemplated. In this episode of Never Contemplated, you'll hear from three administrative law judges from varied backgrounds discussing their past to the Division of Administrative Hearings, or DOA. Judges Suzanne Van Wick, Lee Nelson, and Lynn Quimby Pinnock discuss their backgrounds in government and private practice, their work with the Administrative Law Section and the Florida Bar Foundation, and how to balance law and life. You may also learn a little about the Florida Building Code, get helpful hints for appellate and administrative practice, and learn a thing or two about gardening and raising chickens. I hope you enjoy this special episode of Never Contemplated. Judge Suzanne Van Wyck joined DOA in 2012. She obtained her undergraduate degrees from Birmingham Southern College and her master's in law degrees from Florida State University. Welcome, Judge Van Wyck, and thank you for joining us on Never Contemplated. Well, thank you, Judge Desai. I'm happy to be here. 
Um, so I want to start at the beginning, and you are not a Florida girl. You grew up in Birmingham. Tell us what that was like. Well, so growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, um, you know, I didn't realize what a big city it was until I moved to Tallahassee, actually. <laughs> um, it was a fun place to grow up. There was a lot to do. Um, but my family were all from rural Alabama, so I spent, you know, a lot of weekends um, with family in rural Alabama. Um, I have a lot of second cousins and a lot of great aunts and uncles. I don't have a lot of like really close family, like first cousins. I only have one. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the country um, picking up bottles to turn them in for deposits. And well, that sounds <laughs> that like fun. Now, I, I don't think your parents or no one in your immediate family were attorneys, were they? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. my mom was a nurse and my dad was a computer systems programmer. And uh, And so... You ended up coming to Tallahassee for graduate school. Is that right? For both. For yeah, both. So I came, um, I was accepted to the joint degree program um, to get my master's in urban and regional planning and my law degree at FSU. And so came here in 1990 to start the program. And it's a four-year program. And tell us what your undergraduate degree was in. And I had a joint uh, degree in English and political science. Sounds perfect for law, right? <laughs> what well, sounded like you maybe wanted to do law school uh, before you, maybe when you graduated from high school, when did you figure out that you wanted to be an attorney? So oh, I surprisingly never sought out to, to be a lawyer. Um, I had really, really enjoyed my political science classes and uh, one of my professors in political science was an urban planner, and I really, really was interested in becoming an urban planner, getting my master's in urban and regional planning and practicing um, as a planner. Um, for two years after school, I worked um, and spent the time, um, what we call knocking on doors and, and asking people who practice in the area you think you want to practice in, what do they do? What do they like about it? Not like about it. What, what does an urban planner do? So urban planners um, may work for, for instance, a university, um, literally the physical planning of a campus and its growth and perhaps redevelopment. You know, these days, especially with landlocked universities like FSU, um, they may work for um, a government entity. So you have planners in, um, you know, the city of Tallahassee and Leon County actually have his joint planning department. So those are the folks who are making the decisions on uh, rezonings and comp plan amendments and that sort of thing. And then you have planners who are consultants in private practice that more typically will represent developers in um, getting the permits that they need for development. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time knocking on doors and talking to anybody who would talk to me about what they did. And Almost without exception, every one of them recommended that I combine it with something else. Uh, for instance, if I was good in sciences, to combine it with a hard science degree, something like that. So I kind of looked around at my background and what I was doing, and I love to read and write, and I'm not good in science. <laughs> um, and law just seemed like um, a natural um connection there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, well, let's talk about okay. the, the program that you were in. There are not, I mean, there are joint programs with law schools. Uh, was it more difficult? What, what was it like? Um, it was the difficult part about it was you spend your first two years, you're a full-time 
master's student and a full-time law school student, and you're very focused. And then the second two years, you're bouncing back and forth. And that part was difficult because, you know, master's classes don't last as long. The, the schedules don't last as long. Each class doesn't last as long. And the law school classes are a little bit longer and just trying to get your daily schedule together so that you can get from one side of the campus to the other and make all your classes is <laughs> a little confusing sometimes. Um, I would I would say that I don't think the schools cooperated as much back then as they do now, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the law school has a lot of different joint degree programs now, and they didn't really. I think they had a business administration and mm, public administration maybe back then. Um, so it just wasn't as easy as I think it would be now. Mm-hmm. And how did you find, uh, you, you commented on the size of Tallahassee. Uh, you you ended up staying here. You must have enjoyed Tallahassee. Yes, yes. Well, it grows on you. Um, and I have to say, so it's not a big city, but it was it was my first time away from home, you know, because I went to undergrad at home, so to speak. I mean, there were a whole lot of people I went to high school with who went to college with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I found it, I had a lot of fun. You know, I spent a lot of time checking out the different student organizations on the main campus, um, going to the lab theater and the main stage theater shows and um, hiking and just really getting to know all of Tallahassee, I think, and decided um, I really always thought I'd go back to Alabama and practice, but I sort of specialized myself out of a practice area. So, you know, in Florida, we have uh, growth management law. It's called the Community Planning Act. And in Alabama, there was no such thing. Um, so unless I wanted to go back and just do rezonings as a lawyer, I would probably have had to rely more heavily on the master's um, and just help clients with navigating through a development process um, because there really wasn't the kind of um, comprehensive program that we have in Florida. So um you know, it was a good place to stay, but the real reason I stayed is I fell in love and got married. <laughs> That's always a good reason. <laughs> right. Well, you also got a job out of law school yes. in Tallahassee. Yes. yes. Uh, with the Department of Community Affairs, I which did. no longer exists. And that's right. Uh, but tell us what you did there and what the department did. Okay. Well, I was fortunate enough to do a legal externship, certified legal externship with the Department of Community Affairs my, sen- my senior year, listen to me, my 3L year. Um, so I was working for the department that whole spring, um, and then they offered me the job you know, right away. So I just went straight into it, which was great. Um, the department handled um, all the comprehensive plan amendment challenges for the state of Florida, and I was assigned to Central Florida. Um, I also worked on what are called developments of regional impact and areas of critical state concern. So in the state of Florida, the state has oversight over the comprehensive plan amendment process, but not your local development orders and not your local, you know, rezonings and that sort of thing, except in areas of critical state concern. And then the state has some authority to go in and um, if when they're issued to kind of take them up for review at the state. So I handled those cases. Um, actually did my first um, administrative hearing before I even became a member of the bar um, at Department of Community Affairs as a certified legal extern, and that was great fun. The case was a Hamilton County hazardous waste incinerator <laughs> challenge, and we had the um, the hearing over in the county courthouse uh-huh. with the wooden seats that creak and the, the administrative law judge up on the bench. And um, who was your administrative law judge? 
Do you remember? Oh my gosh, it's so sad. I don't remember. Oh, who I it was. You. <laughs> okay. I know I had. I know I appeared in front of Judge Alexander for a different one, but not for that one. Oh, that's embarrassing. Oh. Well, uh, so you have this. You're getting a lot of experience. It sounds like uh, at the DCA, and you end up working uh, there, and then moving to the legislature. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, interesting the tidbits that happen. So when you work for the state, at least back then, I, I get the sense it's still that way. As a young lawyer, you know, in order to advance, you've got to be ready to move. Uh, you got to be mobile. So um, there were only two entry-level positions at DCA in the general counsel's office. There were lots of senior attorney positions and nobody was moving. So um, I needed more money. I was getting married. You know, I was I was busy, wanted to buy a house. Um, and the general counsel came to me and said, there's this position at the Senate, um, Senate Community Affairs Committee, and they need a lawyer, and I think you should apply for it. So I did that and um, went over to the Senate and really broadened my knowledge of local government issues from just growth management and planning to tax issues, um, community associations, um, just a really wide variety of all the issues that impact local government revenues and that sort of thing. Um, and what were you doing? Were you uh, drafting legislation? Were you assisting legislators? A little of both. Um, but the main job of the Senate staff attorney is to conduct the bill analysis. So as each bill is assigned to your committee, um, you're conducting analysis, written analysis of that bill. How will it impact um the economy, how will it impact the profession, you know, depending on what the bill is, and producing that written analysis that will travel along as legislative history with that bill. Um, and so you work there for uh, a while and you end up going to the Florida Building Commission yes. as, their, as their, I think, new attorney. Was mm -hmm. it, it was a new mm -hmm. commission, right? It was. So, of course, the Florida um, Building Code bill um, had worked its way through our committee, and I was familiar with it. Um, and it was an effort um, by the state to standardize building codes across the state so to form the, the unified Florida building code rather than lots and lots of different building codes throughout the state, you know, by jurisdiction. So I was familiar with the bill, and they were building a brand new program, hiring all new staff um, from the ground up. And I got a call from Actually, the woman who was the um, legislative affairs director at Department of Community Affairs, and she said, "We're, we're we got this brand new program. We need a lawyer. We'd love to have you come over here and apply." So, how could I say no, right? <laughs> and again, you know, it was another way to to move up in the ranks. There really wasn't anywhere to go on the committee where I was, except for the staff director, and he wasn't going anywhere. And I'm glad he was wonderful. Um, so again, it was a way to to get some more money, get mm -hmm. some more experience. And um, as it happens, I went to the Florida Building Commission, and that's how I met my husband. Well, um, tell us what you did at the commission and what the commission, is it still in, uh, is there still a building commission? There is, there is. There's still Florida Building Commission. And, um, you know, the first job, the main job was to draft, to actually write the statewide building code. So which pieces of which jurisdiction's code is going to be the base, um, which of the standardized codes is going to be the base, and then how is it going to be modified um, to meet the 
special needs or individual needs of certain jurisdictions, like coastal counties and that sort of thing. Um, so it was a lot of meetings, a lot of very technical uh, decisions that were being made. Um, each kind of building code area, um, like electrical, um, masonry, all of those, they formed technical committees of folks that really worked in that area and they would make recommendations for changes. You know, which one are we going to adopt? We went with the standard building code. And I want to say it was the night, who knows which, I want to say it was 1998 originally. Um, but we also lobbied. I did some lobbying too, which was the first time I'd ever done that um, because we, you know, we brought this whole legislation forward and um, there were building codes that had been adopted by state agencies uh, and we had to fold those in or change those. Um, so that was that was something I'd not done before was was lobbying. And that was a really good skill to develop. And I, I wouldn't say I enjoyed all of it. Um, it's not really my personality, I don't think, well suited to it. But it was a great learning experience. So you go from the building commission. And when we met, you were at the county attorney's office here in Leon County. Tell us what it was like working uh in the local government after working in state government? Okay. It was, um, it was great. It was a great experience. Obviously it's a much smaller, um, office, so to speak, you know, than, than working at the Senate or working at a state agency. Um, it's just, it was five attorneys altogether and, um, working for, uh, Herb Tila, who was Leon County attorney at the time was fabulous. He's a very smart man. He's also a very funny man. Um, and he he was like, this is your job. You're going to handle the growth management and land use issues and zoning issues. And um, I'm not going to interfere with it, right? I mean, if I needed guidance, it'd go to him. But otherwise, we were, you know, we were very independent. We were given a lot of independence. And uh, I think I developed more professionalism there than anywhere I had been before. Great group of folks who were really dedicated to local government, and I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Well, you took all of those skills that you acquired working in public service, and you took them into the private sector, uh, and where you worked, I think, for almost 10 years. Um, and tell us what it was like to switch over from being a government attorney to going into private practice. So private practice, and I worked in private practice a little over seven years. Oh. Um, probably the biggest change, of course, is client development, right? <laughs> Rainmaking, having to go and find your clients when you um, certainly have them, you know, handed to you in government work. I mean, those people that you see every day are your clients. Um, but I really enjoyed, you know, developing really honing my writing skills, for instance, um, and even honing litigation skills. I hadn't done that much litigation when I started private practice since I had left DCA. Um, I had, um, you know, obviously no litigation when I was at the Senate, um, no litigation when I was at uh, the building commission, there were a couple of rules challenges, but they were settled. Um, and then, you know, in, in private practice, then I had a lot more litigation and not just administrative litigation. We wound up at circuit court on uh, declaratory judgment, um, but it was all related to planning still because that was my focus. Um, I had a mentor in private practice, and that was awesome, Carrie Roth, um, who remains a friend to this day. 
and just a really, it was a really great group of folks, but it is a very, very different, um, there's a very different feel to private practice. You know, it is, I know that sounds strange, but it's, it's formal. It's more formal. Um, even some of your interaction, my interactions with my colleagues seem to be a little more formal than clearly a lot more pressure. Um, you know, having to keep time and, um, having to be ready with those bills every month. And, um, you know, as an associate, cause I was associate first and then became a, a partner, um, you know, hoping that the partner I was billing on their cases wouldn't be writing down my time too much, you know? And, um, so it was, a, it was a lot of pressure, but again, a wonderful place to grow and learn. Well, um, and then you joined DOA and tell us what you enjoy about working at DOA. Number one, the people that I work with, like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I work with some super bright people um, who are willing and interested in sharing what they know and their experiences and helping. Um, number two, the variety of issues you know that we deal with. I spent the majority of my practice focused in one or two areas you know, of the law. And I love the fact that we have such a broad range of types of cases, you know, that come to us. Um, I, just back in in December, I started hearing a Baker Act docket, and I, you know, that's probably the furthest from anything I'd ever done before. Um, and it's a challenge, it's rewarding, always, but always interesting. Yes, yes. Well, I know that uh, recently that you, uh, I, I guess it was not so recent. COVID has created quite a blur of time, but that you ran for county court judge here in Leon County and you didn't, you didn't win, but I know it was an interesting experience. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So it was 2018. Um, I had never run for office before and um, it was a fabulous experience. You know, it was hard. Yes. It was very time consuming, but I love to talk to people and that was not difficult for me. I really enjoyed going door to door and knocking on people's doors and when they were interested, you know, in why I wanted to do this and, you know, what I thought about X, Y, and Z. Um, I also enjoyed all the different <clears throat> events around town that the candidates were invited to go to and speak at. And I even enjoyed trying to get petitions signed, you know, from people. But I really, really was interested in the county court um, where people bring their everyday problems um, landlord tenant issues, small claims, a lot of domestic violence issues. And I, I still, you know, there's a, there's a piece of me that would still like to do that, like to help people sort through those things. Well, a number of our guests have, uh, talked about not getting the, you know, the judgeship or the appointment, uh, the first time around and how they, they made it the second or third time. So, so there's that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, and I wish you luck on that. I know uh, we both have served, uh, and I currently serve, on the Standing Committee for Professionalism, which I believe that you roped me into. <laughs> and, <laughs> I might have been. And, I and as a sponsor <laughs> of our podcast. So, um, But uh, you're on a number of bar committees, and I know that you are, are the incoming president for the Florida Bar Foundation. Tell us about your work at the Florida Bar and... Um, and then we'll talk about what you have planned for the, the foundation. Okay. So um, the, my work at the Florida Bar generally, um, I have served on a, a number of different committees. Um, 
And I want to thank you, Heddle, for what you're doing for the Standing Committee on Professionalism. <laughs> I definitely enjoyed my time on that committee as well and putting together CLEs and, you know, trying to do what we can to help promote professionalism and remind our attorneys that they do have a duty <laughs> to um, keep up the, the professionalism for all of us because it does reflect poorly. Um, anyone's behavior reflects poorly on the whole profession. Um, I also used to serve on the uh, Voluntary Bar Liaison Committee. So we work with all the voluntary bars across the state. And the biggest event we put on was a training conference for them, uh, which was always well attended and, um, and a lot of fun, too. We did. In fact, we did like a murder mystery dinner one year and I was the victim and I had to go and <laughs> had to go and very dramatically die and <laughs> in front of the whole audience. Um uh, the Florida Bar Foundation itself <clears throat> is an uh, an area that I have a passion about. Um, How long have you been on the on the board? On there? the board since twenty fourteen, I think twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Um, and I applied to become a member of the board of directors, Florida Bar Foundation, three times. Um, I was not going to give up. Um, when I was at Department of Community Affairs. I became a fellow of the foundation, which is if you contribute $1,000 or more, but $1,000 is the um, is the minimum to become a fellow. And they were just starting the fellows program. And I was a very underpaid state worker. And um, they would, I think they allowed me to pay that off over five years, um, which is just amazing. Um, became a fellow and interested in their work and supporting their work. And um, and tell us what their work is. So the foundation is the entity that is designated by the Florida Supreme Court to allocate IOTA funds. That's the interest on trust accounts. So every lawyer in private practice who has a trust account for a client, the interest on that trust account is um, statutorily used for um, legal services for the poor. That actually is the name of one of the programs. And the foundation is the entity that collects, manages, and disperses that money. And if you know anything about interest rates, it's been some lean times recently. Um, in addition to the IOTA funds, though, the foundation does private fundraising, um, also receives um, grants, some grants, you know, that, that we seek, um, and takes other award money that that comes in. Um, for instance, there was a lot of money that uh, the foundation collected from the um, Bank of America settlement, from all the you know the loan issues, and um, foreclosures, the foreclosures, and uh, so we, you know, make decisions about how best to manage that money and how to get it out in the most efficient manner to the various legal aid legal services. Corporations around the state, um, and it has just been a wonderful experience for me. Uh, we often have at least one client um, presentation at every meeting, so you know we help fund the Innocence Project is one of them um, that we fund, and and sometimes we'll have um, a member who has been exonerated, you know, to come and tell us their story. And it's just, it's a great program. We are all volunteers and spend a lot of volunteer hours um, on foundation work. Well, it sounds like you'll be spending a little bit more time as president. Do you have an agenda or do you have a vision for what you'll be doing as president? Is it a year position? 
Um, it is. It is a year position, and I will um, become president July 1st. Um, we have initiated a program now. I mean, not a, I guess a program. There is an initiative that has started now um, to work at, we'll look at rebranding and remessaging and maybe even retitling the foundation because a lot of uh, the title Florida Bar Foundation makes you think that you're, you know, I guess if you had to guess, you know, anything, you might say raising money for the Florida Bar, right? That's what I would think, <laughs> right? Yes. So, um, but it's not. Well, we raise money for um, individuals who have um, some barrier to access to justice um, and trying to close that gap, whether it's funding a program uh, like the Thunderdome in Tallahassee that helps pair, uh, prepare a pro bono attorney to work with others, or whether it's a grant to um, legal services in North Florida to hire a new lawyer, or whether it's a, a form program to um, get a new program so that at the clerk's office there are appropriate forms for people who are trying to you know, file for divorce or child custody and they have no way of being represented. Um, so that's that's the work that the foundation does, and I'm going to make it a priority um, to follow that through. You know, it's going to take a while, I think, for us to make the decisions about rebranding and remessaging, and maybe even a title that um, is more descriptive and helps the public, not just lawyers, get an interest in supporting the foundation. Well, that sounds like a good a good plan and a mm -hmm. good vision. Um, I know. Uh, I know that it's late. <laughs> uh, let me just ask you one last question. If you had a piece of advice for a new attorney, uh, what would that be? Um, in the courtroom, my advice is to be the most prepared. So I'm, I am absolutely certain that the way I won cases when I was practicing was to be more prepared than the other guy. You should know more about your case and more about the law um, that governs your case than anybody else. Um, and as an ALJ, I see people come before me who aren't very well prepared. And generally the one that's most most prepared wins. Um, and then for female, new female lawyers out there, I would say go in there and own that space. Go ahead of time, get comfortable with it, own that space. Well, thank you so much, Judge, for, for being on today. Uh, please stay safe. Thank you, you Bye -bye. too. Judge Lisa Nelson, more affectionately known as Lee, joined DOA in 2006. She obtained her undergraduate degree from Carson Newman University and her law degree from Florida State University. Welcome, Judge Nelson, and thanks for joining us today on Never Contemplated. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I know that uh, there's a little bit of excitement in the air because you're awaiting a grandchild yes. that can be born any minute, so we'll keep this as short as possible. <laughs> um but I want to start at the beginning. First of all, I want to know where Carson Newman University is. Well, when I went there, it was Carson Newman College. There's now Carson Newman University, and it's in Jefferson City, Tennessee. And it's right up in the Smoky Mountains. It's beautiful, small, liberal arts, private school. It was a great place when you're young and don't know what you want to do to kind of find yourself. I uh, actually have been there. The closest federal courthouse is in Asheville. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. How did you, you grew up on the Space Coast. Yes. Uh, how did you end up in Tennessee? 
I actually thought that the recruiter that came to our college fair from uh, Carson Newman was really cute. <laughs> and he offered me a scholarship based on my uh, LS- SAT scores or SAT scores. And I went there sight unseen mm-hmm. and absolutely loved it when I got there. And did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up, when you went to Carson Newman? Yeah. I wanted to be a psychologist. And then I read um, too many books like I Never Promised You a Rose Garden (laughs) and Sybil and decided I didn't want to be that responsible for someone else's mental health, which makes it kind of funny that I do bike racks now. Um, then I wanted to be a lawyer and I saw paper chase and that scared the daylights out of me. So I decided maybe a librarian would be a good idea till my father gave me a math lesson that I will never forget, um, on, uh, what it would be like to live on a librarian's salary. <laughs> so I went back to the idea of law school. Well, let's talk about your parents. Uh, your dad was not an attorney. No. How did you grow up and and what was growing up on the Space Coast like? Uh, My dad, uh, initially, when we went to the Space Coast, worked for IBM. So he was a manager of planning and scheduling of the computers that went into the Gemini and the Apollo missions. Oh. Um, So the VAB was right across the river from our high school. What is VAB? A vehicle assembly building. Okay. Where they would house the rocket, the Saturn V rockets. So when there were launches... They would come on the intercom at school and say, launch in five minutes, take a recess. We'd go out and see our boyfriends or check our locker. But, you know, we would see launches all the time. I'm sensing you were a little boy crazy when you were younger. No, (laughs) not really. It just, it was so routine to us. I don't think that we realized the magnitude of what we were experiencing every day. And it's historical significance. It's just everybody worked at the Cape. Um, so that's what all of our dads did. Um, it was just routine. But my dad actually left IBM as the Apollo missions were, were uh, closing down. And he had had a sporting goods store kind of on the side as a hobby. And so my senior year, we didn't have IBM anymore. We just we had the sporting goods store. Did you work in the store? Yes, a lot. We actually had two at one point. So during the summers, I would run the store in Cocoa. And then on the weekends, I'd work in the Titusville store. It was fun. Well, when you graduated from undergrad, you ended up going to law school. Was it because you watched the paper chase or despite? Um, Probably despite that. And I, I went to FSU, quite frankly, because it was as close to the mountains as I could get and still pay in-state tuition. Um, but I thought also it's capital city. Um, there's great resources here, so many opportunities through the court systems and the legislature and everything that Tallahassee embodies in terms of um, educational opportunities and practical opportunities in law school. And did you work during law school or did you specialize in anything? I wanted to be an estate and trust lawyer. I didn't ever want to be in a courtroom. I didn't want to ever speak in front of people. And that didn't work out real well. So that that was my focus when I left school was to do that. Did you clerk anywhere during law school? 
In law school, I interned at the federal district court under Judge Stafford, and that was an amazingly wonderful experience. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and then after you graduated, you ended up clerking at the Supreme Court. Is that right? For three years. Uh And uh, who did you? My first year, I was connected to the chief's office. So my first year, I clerked for Justice Alderman, and my second two years, I clerked for Justice Boyd. They were very, very different, but both very good bosses. It was a great experience. And what kind of work did you do as a, as a clerk to the chief's office? I prepared um, conference agendas um, for the conferences that they had every Monday. I kind of coordinated with the clerk's office in terms of routing cases. And I was also the proofreader, so I was the person who got to check all the sites and check to make sure the grammar was right and check all the votes to make sure that everything was accurately reflected on the opinions. And you uh, worked there for three years and then you, where did you end up? I went to what used to be the Department of Professional Regulation. I started in construction litigation And not long after I started, they created an appellate position. And so I was DPR's first appellate attorney. And that was my, that was my niche. I felt very comfortable there. And when you say uh, construction, were you doing licensing discipline? Yes. Yes. And what kind of issues were you facing? Oh my goodness. In construction litigation, you dealt mostly with the construction industry licensing board. And so you prosecuted for things like not pulling permits or abandonment of jobs or poorly done jobs or uh, fraud, you know, just the the whole gamut of violations under Chapter 489. But it was a good learning experience. It was a good area to learn about discovery and how to do a formal hearing at DOA and um, just to kind of learn the nuts and bolts of practical practice. So after being the appellate attorney there, I think you stayed with DBBR for a long time, didn't you? 13 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when you left there, you went into private practice. Yes. And was that different for you since you had clerked and then worked for a state agency? It was different. Um, I was the sole person in a Tallahassee office for a Miami-based law firm. So that was a real new experience for me. Um, It was, I was so used to the parameters in state government in terms of purchasing and in terms of your travel and how you do all of that. Whereas when I went with the firm, my boss said, this is where the office is going to be, go buy furniture. Well, do I have a budget? No, you know what furniture costs in Tallahassee. I don't just use your good judgment. So, so there were no forms. No. <laughs> like there are in government. No. Just just go get it accomplished. And so that was a little bit of an adjustment. And I think it was a good experience in terms of gaining the perspective of both sides and looking at litigation from a different angle and understanding some of the frustrations that I would hear about when I was at the department, but had never experienced. And what kind of clients or cases were you handling in private practice? I did some uh, federal appeals uh, for clients the firm already had. Um, 
I did some, a little tiny bit of international treaty stuff, um, any kind of APA, any kind of appeals that the firm had, I did. Um, I did a, I think my last appeal was a securities appeal to the 11th Circuit, and that was fun. Um, and APA, the Administrative Procedures Act. Yes. Uh-huh. Now, I know you were instrumental later in um, serving on committees and task force uh, revising the APA and uh, implementing or creating rules, administrative rules. Tell us a little bit about that and how you got into that. Well, that started when I was still at DPR. So probably in the early 90s, um, there were some revisions to the APA um, and some. there was a technical work group that was established to look um, to do supportive work for the administration administrative revision commission that was uh, created by the governor's office and the legislature to look at chapter 120. And there was a technical work group that was created by the governor's office to kind of do the gut work for the commission. And I was asked to serve on that. And then when it was time to create the uniform rules um, for people who don't do administrative practice, um, we don't use the civil rules of procedure. We have the, a separate set of rules that are aimed at agency practice called the uniform rules. And there was a committee that was formed through the administrative law section to create the uniform rules. There had been some model rules before, but agencies didn't really have to follow them. Um, this was the first time that they were required to do so. And so that was a an interesting experience to kind of decide what those initial rules were going to be like. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the APA, the purpose of that was to make sure that all the agencies were following the same procedures yes. in, in passing their rules and how they made decisions and affected the public and had hearings. Is that right? Yeah, the APA is supposed to provide a, an overall procedural framework so that everybody knows that, so that government is more transparent and also so that there is a uniform way to provide a, a, a right to a hearing and to provide due process for people who interact with state agencies um, so that they get their opportunity to challenge something that affects their interests. Um, and so that it's uniform across state agencies and not a different process every time you go to get something done. Well, we were talking about you being in private practice. Did you become uh, an administrative law judge straight out of private practice? Yes. Yes. And uh, I know that you started, I think, in 2006. Yes. And you are now the uh, most senior female administrative law judge. Is that right? I think. I I guess I am. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that. And I but. know that us less senior uh, judges come to you for advice on all kinds of things, but especially rule challenges that you're the, the queen kind of guru of, of rule challenges. What kinds of things do you appreciate about being an administrative law judge? I think that well, first of all, I wanted to be an ALJ long before they were called ALJs. So I applied the first time in 2000. What were they called before? And Can they you were say called it on hearing, hearing officers. Oh, hearing officers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and quite frankly, I don't recall if you, 
if you call me late to dinner or <laughs> hearing officer or ALJ, as long as I can do this job. I, I just thought that the opportunity to have still have interaction with the public and to be able to write your decisions, and to me that's like a puzzle, um, figuring out how everything fits together um, is just the most fun. But what I didn't realize until I got there was the best part about DOA is the people and the collegiality that is there. Uh, I like to think of it as a destination job. So you don't have people who are um, competing for the next thing because you're already at the place where you want to be for the most part. It's just a great place to work. It is. It is. Well, I know that you have served on those uh, the uniform committees and tell us what other uh, professional groups that you belong to with the Florida Bar or local community? I am a member of the administrative law section. I was chair, I think, in 2001, 2002. Um, and I have been a member of the government bar. I really focused a lot on my family and my church. Um, so I haven't done a whole lot of outside things. Well, you are um, on the steering committee for the Administrative Procedures Manual, which yes. we all use at DOA and most administrative lawyers who have been practicing have have no, create. you know, it's like their Bible. So it's a great resource. Tell us what is involved in being on the steering committee and putting that manual together. So there are three members of the steering committee. Um, Elizabeth MacArthur and Gary Early are also who are also administrative law um, judges. Yes. Um, and every time there's a revision, we look at the, our responsibility is to check uh, the current authors and check with each of them to make sure that they want to continue being an author for the manual. Sometimes people have just, you know, they're ready to retire or their job situation changes, so they don't want to do it anymore. And we recruit people to take over chapters when that's necessary. And then when the revised chapters are received by the authors, then Gary and Elizabeth and I split up all of the chapters and we read them all. And we, uh, luckily the bar does a lot of the technical proofing, but we look at them all and check to make sure that anything new that needs to be added is actually in the new chapters. Um, it's fun because it's a good um, refreshing uh, opportunity, I guess you would say, to make sure that we are current. Um, and it's just such a great resource across the board. Um, and so it's fun to be a part of that. Well, you've been practicing either in front of DOA or as, a, as an administrative law judge for over 25 years now. What kind of changes have you seen at DOA procedurally or with, you know, just the makeup of DOA? I didn't do a whole lot of practice before DOA before I actually came to DOA because most of my practice was appellate. Um, but since I've been there, I think I've watched the whole evolution of video hearings. So when I started, there were only a couple of locations, maybe four. Um, not long after I started, they opened the Gainesville location and the Panama City location. And people were really hesitant to use video um, hearings at first. Right. And the video hearings 
people had to go to a certain place. Yes. And and it was video between Tallahassee and these other and places. They couldn't be anywhere. No. And it, there were only 17 locations and they are where the, our judges of compensation claims offices are. And uh, so now that we have COVID or ha- have been dealing with COVID, we kind of drifted away from using the video hearings to doing Zoom hearings, which can be anywhere. And I think pretty much all of us have found that's more effective than the video locations had been. So we're kind of drifting away from that in favor of Zoom. And that's been kind of interesting to watch. Yeah, I think uh, it has changed the dynamics and the ability to participate for witnesses, for, you know, for parties, pro se, especially pro se people. So I would agree. I think there's some hearings that probably are better served live. Yes. Um, but it is nice to have have that ability to to do the Zoom for sure. I know you you mentioned your church and your family. I know you're very active in your church, but that you're actually I'm not sure in the choir and that you sing regularly. How long have you been singing? I think I've probably been singing since I've been walking. Um, music's always been very important to me. I, I think that music is a way that you can express your feelings when you don't have your own words. And it's always been a source of relief and inspiration for me. I'm very lyric oriented, so I want to have both good words and a good tune. Um, but I sang in college. I was in a music drama team that traveled and um, that was probably my best preparation for law school because I had to stand up in front of people. But uh, it's, it was fun. Well, it seems like you conquered that that fear for sure. Um, how was it during the pandemic when you couldn't sing together or be together to practice your faith at church? We, um, our church has been streaming remotely, and that's been at least. a a palatable substitute. Um, We uh, reopened our doors several months in, but we, uh, we have a nurse who um, was very um, astute at getting the guidelines. There were specific CDC guidelines for churches and she accessed those. And so when we reopened, we of course had masks for everyone. We had, um, ribbons on the pews so that you staggered the seating in the sanctuary so that you could have um, spacing that was appropriate. Um, it, it was hard. I mean, I sing all the time, whether I'm at church or whether I'm at home. <laughs> um, sometimes if I don't think people are around, I sing in the office. Um, so that I still did that. Well, well um, I know that you're you're, we're very busy today and, and uh, waiting for that call. But uh, before we leave, I want to ask you one last question. If you had a piece of advice for a new attorney that was in your courtroom, what would it be? Read the rules. Read the rules. There are so many times that I think people don't do what they need to do because they didn't read the rules. And if they had read the rules, they would find the answers there for a lot of their questions. Well, uh, thank you again for being here. Um, Stay safe and good luck with everything. All right. Thank you. 
Judge Lynn Quinby Pennock joined DOA in 2011. She graduated from Queens College in Charlotte, North Carolina, and received her law degree from Walter F. George School of Law at Mercer University in Macon, Georgia. Welcome and thank you for being here, Judge Quimby Pennock. Thank How you are you for this morning? Me. I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. It's a gorgeous day here in Tallahassee. It is. So before we get into your experience um, in administrative law, I want to talk a little bit about your background. I know that you grew up in a big family and you're from Florida, but I also read that you are a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about your family history. Uh, my parents were from the Carolinas and they met uh, shortly well, as the World War II was winding down, they met, they married, and my father ended up in med school at the College of Charleston, Medical, Medical College of Charleston, I think is how it said. And dad did not like the cold weather, so he looked for an internship and a residency in Florida, and they moved to Florida uh, in 56, I believe it was, so that he could do his medical residency at Tampa General, and that's where I was born. And how was it growing up in a big family in Tampa? Well, we we moved. I was told that for our my first birthday, we moved to Bradenton, which is about 40 miles south of Tampa. And <clears throat> I don't remember that, but I grew up in Bradenton um, with three siblings. It was always very busy at our household. Um we were fortunate enough to live on the Manatee River, and so I learned how to sail and how to water ski and was out on the water a great deal. So it was always a, a challenge to see who could get which friends over faster so they could go out in whatever boat was available, be it the little so sailboat that we had or the motorboat that we could go skiing on. Well, it sounds like you uh, had a true Florida uh, childhood, um, and that you had a lot of fun. Oh, we did. Up. And we were around when Walt Disney started over in Orlando. So it wasn't unusual for us to pile in the car on a Saturday morning and run over to Orlando to Disney World and spend the day and then come back home. Well, I know that your, your father was a physician. Mm -hmm. Um, and did you have any lawyers in your family or is there no? Well, not that I know of. Uh, the only, my my father was a physician. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, although she did teach school at times. Um, her family was uh, pharmacists. All of my mother's family, the men were pharmacists. Um, her sister was a farmer's wife. Maybe that's where I get the other, the chicken, chicken <laughs> Uh, we'll get to the routine. chickens in a minute, but um, but my father's only brother was killed shortly after World War II, and so I did not have any association with his family. So I don't know. So you, uh, well, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were in high school, if you've ever heard of the TV program Perry Mason, I watched that almost daily, or as often as it was on TV, I should say, um, and just fell in love with the litigation side of it. And for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a lawyer. And so you ended up going out of state for school. Um, and then how did you end up back in Florida? I didn't like the cold either. 
<laughs> I went to uh, school in Charlotte, North Carolina, and had a great four years there, but it was cold. I then went to Walter F. George in Macon, Georgia, and believe it or not, in my third year of law school, it snowed, and Macon just shut down for, I think, about four days, and we were just kind of held up or hold up in our apartment. So it was it was cold, and I thought, no, nope, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go to Florida. And so I moved back home, worked in, in the Sarasota area, worked over in Melbourne, and then met and married my husband, and we moved to Tallahassee. Okay. Well, when you uh, got out of law school, what what kind of jobs did you have available to you? The first the first position that I had was as a certified attorney. I think that's what it's called, with the state attorney's office over in the Melbourne Titusville area, the 18th Judicial Circuit. The gentleman who was the state attorney at the time was also a George alum. And so he gave me my first break. And so I went in and started doing state attorney work, prosecuting misdemeanors and having jury trials, burglaries and assaults, batteries, shoplifting, all that, all that sort of stuff and really enjoyed it. So it sounds like you got a lot of hands-on court experience. I did. I did. Had, had, was given the opportunity uh, one weekend to go on I don't know what they call it, on routes with a sheriff or a deputy. A ride-along. A ride-along, yes, that's it. A ride-along and watched as they located DUI drivers and stuff like that. It was fascinating to see how the police and law enforcement had to work to secure the area and to ensure that nobody got hurt from it. Well, how did you? How long did you stay in the state in the state attorney's office there? I was there probably nine or ten months. I think that's about right, probably. And then I came back to the Sarasota Brandon area and went in with a, a firm that is no longer around. the The firm that I was with uh, dissolved back in twenty twenty. I think it was. Well, what kind of work did you do? There, I, I worked as a law clerk for senior partners, handling lots of um, merger-type things. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really didn't enjoy it as much because I didn't get any... No criminal No criminal, n- <laughs> nothing like that. So it wasn't, I wasn't as enamored with that as I, as I thought, well, maybe I could do this. But no, I didn't like it. Well, you mentioned getting married and then coming, uh, I guess, to Tallahassee. Is that right? Yes. My husband had a job with the state, and because I wasn't enamored with what I was doing, and he had a permanent job that actually had benefits at the time, we moved to Tallahassee. And what kind of work did you start doing in Tallahassee? I was, it was fascinating to me to learn of the administrative law section. I knew civil and I knew criminal. I had never heard of the administrative law section or that part of the legal arena. So I went to work for the Office of Public Counsel, which is the entity that represents the public in front of the Public Service Commission. Uh, And tell us what the Public Service Commission does. The Public Service Commission regulates uh, the utilities and water and sewer type things in Florida. 
the problem with that, of course, was I was low person on the totem pole, as they say. And so I wasn't getting any of the litigation experience. I did get to do depositions, but that wasn't as much fun as I had had found it to be otherwise. And so after about a year there, I ended up over at the Department of Business Regulation and was able to do DOA proceedings. And that's where I had my first exposure to what are now administrative law judges, what we are, and fell in love with it. And what kind of work did you do there? Did you prosecute? Did you do disciplinary actions? What kind of work? Did lots of disciplinary actions in the hotel and restaurant arena, um, alcoholic beverage and tobacco type, type cases, and just had a wonderful time with it. And even did, did, uh, helped write a brief for the U.S. Supreme Court involving the Seminole tribe. I couldn't tell you what it was about right now, but I know I helped write it. Well, it sounds like you, uh, and then you moved on from the Department of Business or whatever it was called, and we, we work in a lot of acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> I went from the Department of Business Regulations to the Department of Professional Regulations, then to the Florida Elections Commission, on to the Department of Legal Affairs, back to what had been combined by then as the Department of Business and Professional Regulations, uh, and then ended, uh, did a, did about 33 months in private practice uh, for a boutique law firm here in Tallahassee, um, and, and did not enjoy it as much because I didn't have as much experience, or as much time, I should say, litigating, actually litigating the goal in at least the firm that I was with was to settle everything as fast as possible and move on to the next thing, which I think is how a lot, a lot of people or a lot of firms do it. I enjoyed the litigation aspect of it. So I left the firm, went to what was the Department of Health and did a lot of uh, prosecuting of healthcare professionals and then ended up one more step over to the Office of Financial Regulation, which about the time of the financial downturn in 2008, and I helped facilitate the closing of a number of financial institutions around the state. Well, we've talked about your time at that Department of Financial Regulations and how it kind of, you were like a secret spy lawyer. Um, <laughs> yes, I was. Tell us a little bit about the, the secrecy uh, surrounding your job. When a financial institution is in immen- immediate danger of failing, uh, the commissioner for the Office of Financial Regulation has the ability to execute documents with the assistance of the Federal Reserve and FDIC to close that institution, but it's a matter that has to go before a circuit judge in the area where the financial institution is. There were a number of times when I would come home and I would tell my husband and and the the child who was remaining in the household at that point, she had not graduated from high school yet, I'll be gone, I'm leaving Thursday, and I'll see you sometime on Saturday when I get home. I couldn't tell him where I was going because there was the need to ensure Privacy was maintained because we did not want to alert folks whose institutions were being reviewed and were subject to closing. And so I would go down to wherever in the state, make an arrangement with the the clerk of the court, wherever we were, a scheduled time on Friday morning to go in and, and present information to a circuit judge. 
who would then sign the necessary paperwork that we carried with us. And then we would go to the financial institution and serve the financial institution, giving them time later on that Friday afternoon to come into circuit court to contest the position. And we had hearings on that, that afternoon. It was very interesting. Um, and the goal, of course, uh, was necessarily to close the financial institution, but at the same time, hopefully reopen it under a different financial institution that came in and bought the assets so that the clientele of the financial institution still had a location they could go to, although things probably shifted around a bit uh, under the new, what I would call the new management. It was very interesting. So the secrecy was to prevent panic. <clears throat> yes. You did not want to run on the bank that Friday afternoon. So we would wait until about, I would say about 445. And then we would walk into the facility with just a lot, a lot of people to do what was necessary to close it down. Well, it sounds like you had a diverse background and experience with all the different uh, government agencies. What are the pros and cons of being a government attorney? Just the difference, the differences that you encounter along the way. One day you may be dealing with this issue and the next day you're dealing with that issue, especially where we work now, I've never had two days the same. It's always something different coming across my desk, as I'm sure it comes across your desk. And you just kind of go, wow, I'd never thought of that. That's something, but that's, that's how it's been throughout um, my time in, in government service. And I've enjoyed it immensely. Um, it's been fun. Now, I know, I think it was at the Department of Health where you maybe oversaw other attorneys as well. Is that right? I did. And uh, how was managing young attorneys? <laughs> uh, managing young attorneys. Well, the good news is they have lots of different ideas and as to how to approach something. And uh, the younger the younger attorneys or baby lawyers, as, as I sometimes call them, certainly have a lot more technology issues than I do. And, and just the exchange of ideas as to how you could navigate and get from point A to point B has always, it's, it's just fun to watch and, and then point out necessarily, well, you really don't want to do that because you don't want to, to expose this. You want to work through, you need to work up to what you're trying to get to. And to see light bulbs go off in their eyes, that's always cool. That's just fun. So, Well, you, uh, with all this ex litigation experience and government experience, you joined DOA in 2011, um, and you've been doing a variety of types of cases. You would call yourself probably a generalist yes. at, at DOA. Uh, I know we have specialists, and we'll talk to some of those later on. I know that you didn't have any mentors. Nobody in your family was an attorney. You went to law school and really didn't know anybody there. Tell us what you, uh, I know that you're, that you're very passionate about mentoring. Yes. Yes. I and have... tell us about all the different ways that, that you mentor and why people should mentor. Oh, I, I think mentoring is a fabulous opportunity because you, you sit down one-on-one -on -one with uh, a young attorney um, fortunately for us, being here in Tallahassee, 
we can get mentor uh, mentees, I guess I'll call them, when they start law school, which is great. I've had a number of law students come through, um, and I really started doing this probably 2008, 2009, somewhere along in there, got very much into it and have maintained relationships with a number of the young women that I have mentored. In fact, just yesterday, I dropped off a huge box of diapers to a former mentee who had a baby last week. That was exciting. I didn't get to see the baby other than in pictures, but um, she was uh, she was very, very happy to get that. So I've maintained relationships, and I've been to graduations of mentees, and it's it's fabulous because once you establish the rapport with a young person, and they feel comfortable in asking you any question. No question is stupid if you don't have a clue what it is. I mean, why am I doing this and how can I improve? Um, so I have, I thoroughly support it and heartily endorse it for anybody to seek out a mentor. And in what groups do you mentor through? Uh, primarily through the Tallahassee Women Lawyers. Um, that's where I've I think I've gotten all but maybe one. I did meet, there was a, a CLE program at the First District Court of Appeal several years ago. Um, and there was a young lady who had come over from Jacksonville, from the law school that, that was over there. I've forgotten the name of it. Coastal. There you go, Coastal. Um, and we were seated at the same table. I think we moved from, you know, from one topic table to another table kind of together for some reason. And I struck up a conversation with her and I said, well, if you ever move to Tallahassee, please look me up, call me, text me, whatever. And I will be more than happy to, uh, to provide a mentorship with you. And lo and behold, if she didn't graduate from coastal, uh, her husband, I believe, was working on his Ph.D. at FSU. He moved, They moved to Tallahassee. She calls me up, and uh, I started that relationship uh, shortly after she graduated, I think. Uh, she They were here for several years, and then her husband graduated, and, they, and she's now in North Carolina, Raleigh, I think. Um, but it, it's—so— I credit Tallahassee Women Lawyers for starting that program and moving forward. I think it's great. Well, it sounds really rewarding. I know that you're also very active in your church um, and other uh, local uh, things in our community. What other things bring you joy in your free time? The pandemic has cast a shadow over a number of opportunities that I usually in, uh, enjoy participating in. Teen court is something that I find incredibly rewarding because it's great to see these young young students in middle and high school, I believe it is, um, presenting cases. I, we got a notice last week from teen court that they were going to start back up. Uh, with teen court, actual, you know, physically being in the, the courtroom. And I could sign up for after, starting in September, I am looking towards September with great expectation of, of opening up a lot of things. I have a four and a half year old granddaughter and my daughter and her husband are very, very particular about maintaining protocols. And so I have been limited to my outside activities for the time being. So I'm looking forward to to doing teen court again. I am looking forward to going back, hopefully, to uh, one of the elementary schools where I did reading 
for students, um, but I haven't been able to do that with the pandemic issue. Uh, and then the other thing that I do is I donate blood on a fairly regular basis. I passed the 14-gallon mark 10 days ago, I guess it was. So that's pretty cool. My dad, I think, is in the gallon club, too. So, <laughs> I just, you, you know, and you go in and you, you which arm do you want? And, and they all stick you. And, and it's not, it really, the only thing is the little prick that when the needle goes in your arm, but you sit there, they'll give you something, you know, uh, anything other than alcohol, of course, but they'll give you, you know, a Sprite or a soda or water or, or orange juice, apple juice, whatever. And you, you get a free t-shirt and all that good stuff. Not that I do it for that, but um, the folks there are very friendly. Um, and I just think it's a worthwhile cause, especially, regrettably, especially around the holidays because there's so many accidents and people need blood. So I fully support that. But we'll, we'll try to have a shout out for uh, the local blood, blood bank in our in our links. Um, I know that you are famous in our office for bringing things from your garden and um, that you have chickens and your family has cows. Tell us what it's like to be a, a weekend farmer or <laughs> a weekend farmer is really cool. Um, we ended up getting chickens from our daughter and son-in-law who live down in the Gainesville area. Uh, they have 27 acres, and they also have, as I mentioned, this four-and-a-half-year-old. And the the chickens that they had at the farm were getting to be too much for them to uh, handle running around after a four-and-a-half-year-old or a four-year-old four or whatnot. And so we brought them up. We brought the chicks and chickens up to Tallahassee. My husband built this, what I call the Taj Mahal of Coops in our backyard, which had a very spacious run. I've seen, I've seen the Taj Mahal. <laughs> and, and we've added an extension to the run, which is, makes it even funnier. Um, these chickens have more space than you could ever imagine. Uh, and my husband devised a methodology to put up a tarp around it when it got so cold several, what, six weeks ago or so when it was in the 20s and 30s up here. Um, to try to keep them warm. Um, but we have a great time. The eggs are fresh. It's delightful. Um, and my my husband has a green thumb. He has one of the best green thumbs I know. Currently, we have planted in our backyard potatoes, kale, lettuce, broccoli, asparagus. Uh, and in the front yard, I was planting over the weekend caladium bulbs. Um, I don't I, know what a caladium is. It's a, it's a, what I call a floppy flower that has it kind of like an elephant ear with, um, different colors, primarily pinks and reds, little, some whites, um, but they're very pretty. Um, but as I read the package and then saw what the weather's going to do this coming weekend, where it may go back down below freezing, I no, we may need to cover up all that stuff to try to keep the warmth in. Um, but my husband is, we are anticipating putting in corn within the next 10 days or so, um, which is great because, um, I love bringing it in and beans and peas. Wow. Um, so we keep busy with that. We go down to the farm as often as, um, our daughter and son-in-law let us go. And we, we plant things down there as well so that, that our granddaughter can watch them and eat them 
strawberries. We had strawberries too. We had homegrown strawberries. Well, I'm looking forward to you bringing all of these things into the (laughs) office. Um, I want to thank you for your time here. I have one more question for you. Um, We've talked about mentoring and teaching uh, young attorneys. If you had one piece of advice for a a new attorney, what, what would it be? Get involved. Be it in a local voluntary bar association or what we call the big bar. Get involved. Um, networking is ever so important and something that I was not exposed to early on. Uh, and I think that's just, you meet people, you talk about what they do. Lo and behold, several years later, you have an issue come across your desk and you think, I met somebody at such and such. Let me call them and bounce off what I think may, may work and see what they say. And I think it's just fabulous. So um, I've been involved with the local uh, voluntary bar for government attorneys um, and just think it's fabulous. Plus you get uh, CLE through it usually, which is even better, better a better, I should say, a better uh, reason to join, I think, because everybody needs CLE. You get a free CLE for listening to us. So. Oh, well, that's even better, too. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you again for coming in and uh, stay safe. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. I want to thank the sound engineer, Clay Shaw, and Katie Young and Rebecca Bandy from the Latimer Center of Professionalism for keeping us on the air. If you'd like more information on the ALJs interviewed in this episode, the Division of Administrative Hearings, or the Administrative and Environmental Sections of the Florida Bar, check out the links under this posting. I also want to encourage you to join us for the next season of Never Contemplated, where we expand our interviews from the judiciary to other female leaders in the legal community. Thanks again for listening and stay safe.